Thank you. Thanks, uh, everyone, for coming. And thank you to the program committee for giving me an opportunity to speak at um, this event. I'm a bit humbled by the quality, uh, excellent quality of the presentations before me. Um, but uh, hopefully I can uh, approach matters from a slightly different angle. Um, I'm not going to be presenting data, and I'm uh, not particularly concerned with uh, the details of the, neuroscientific, the, the um, neurophysiological implementation of the kind of models I'm considering. Um, but I can thank the prior uh, speakers before me for setting out the issues um, so clearly and discussing uh, the nature of predictive coding models in general. And in particular, um, Anil Seth's talk um, set the pace that I want to continue in terms of a theoretical discussion of some of the advantages of features of predictive coding models and maybe in some ways in which uh, some features that have assumed to have been necessary components of prediction-based models of experience maybe they are actually impediments to a proper account of consciousness and um, maybe we need to look at a slightly different space of, of models. Um, so what I hope to do is uh, investigate some quickly some of the challenges uh, concerning a predictive coding approach to consciousness that appear. Um, and I'm going to, uh, I'm not going to be able to describe the, I, I tried to cram this into my talk, but just couldn't. I'm, can't, I won't be able to describe in detail the alternative that um, I've been using, the expectational model. Um, but I can tell you enough about it to uh, perhaps identify some challenges that are facing predictive coding models, um, maybe also suggest some ways to overcome these challenges. And I think maybe um, of more of a wider interest to people than just um, those who might be interested in a particular model I'm investigating. Uh, the, I hope I might, hopefully I might be able to help identify which features of predictive coding models are, are really pulling their weight in explanations of consciousness and which are maybe inherited from, from other uh, considerations but really aren't uh, necessary to do the kind of work that predictive coding models can do. Um, so if I were to give you a detailed explanation of my model, what I'd want to do is uh, show you how it's different from, similar to and different from, standard predictive coding models. And um, uh, I, I can't uh, do that in detail for all of these issues, but what I can do is focus on the ways in which the model is different. So I won't focus on the fact that it's predictive or error minimizing. Um, I don't want to get into terminological disputes about whether uh, the... The, uh, you know, I agree with Helmholtz at least as much as I agree with uh, Merleau-Ponty that um, experience, the content of experience cannot, or I would say visual experience, cannot be read off the sensory surface. It can't be read off the retina. We're contributing uh, a lot to that, the content of experience, maybe more so, maybe ex uh, exclusively um, and, uh, as compared to the input that's coming into our visual system at any given time. Whether you want to call that contribution an inferential one or not um, is a terminological dispute I don't really need to get into here. I'll also skip over the discussion of hierarchy, which I think is very interesting and important. But instead, I'll focus on, um, as the title of the talk suggests, um, ways in which I think the predictive coding uh, approach isn't as inactive as it could be, but I mean that in a very safe sense, not a, not a crazy sense as uh, maybe some people uh, might be using the term inactive. And what I'll downplay are these uh, aspects that are thought to be really central to the predictive coding approach. I think uh, there's a lot uh, that can be gained by focusing on prediction and error minimization uh, models 
um, and some of these other aspects, but that don't require a probabilistic approach, don't require an assumption of optimality, don't require um, a universal application of this idea that the expectations uh, uh, are, are provided top-down uh, are uh, suppressed. The, the aspect of the input that it can be accounted for is suppressed, leaving only an error uh, residue as the, uh, as the, say, correlate of consciousness that we might be able to play with. So I'll try to suggest how that can be done. Now, I told you I can't. This, I tried, but uh, there's really no time for me to explain in detail the um, expectational model um, that I'm uh, using, but I can at least tell you roughly what its structure is. It has two parts. One part is a computational architecture. It's basically a feed-forward model um, uh, can be implemented in any, any number of ways, um, including simple recurrent network. Um, and the forward models uh, basically ha has, provides a system with the ability to answer questions of, of this form. Um, how will my visual input change, or what will my visual input be, or what will some subset of my visual input be if I were to engage in this action, or this or that movement, for instance, isocards. That's really the heart of the, um, of the architecture the uh, expectation-based architecture part of the model. And it's an expectation. Uh, I think it's only um, proper to talk about expectations here because it's part of an architecture, a uh, full architecture for perception and action in an integrated way. Um, but that's not enough to really give an account of consciousness. A lot of people might just stop there if um, that architecture turned out to, for instance, explain some data pretty well. Um, but what I want to do is go on to... Uh, um, apply a theory that refers to the states of that model, in particular the expectational states, that relates the states of that model to the contents of consciousness. So not just coarse properties of consciousness like what the, consciousness, what the conscious state is about. Is it, is it an experience of a face or an experience of a house? I want to uh, see if we can use the, the, the fine-grained content of the expectational states to actually tell us what the fine-grained content of the experience um, uh, at a visual experience at any given, given time is. So the theory just posits that there's an identity there, that the content, perhaps some subset of the um, expectational state of the architecture, of the uh, expectation-based architecture, just is the content of the visual experience at a time. But with a, one important twist, the spatial structure of the actions that are referred to in these expectations. Remember, the expectations I'm talking about are like, what input would I get if I were to saccade this way or if I were to saccade that way? These are subpersonal expectations, not expectations on the part of me as a subject, but of my visual system. The actions that are used to parameterize those expectations, they have a spatial structure. And so the idea here is that the expectations that I have aren't just an unstructured list of expectations. They actually have a spatial structure generated by the spatial structure of the actions that um, are referred to in these expectations. And so that's where the, the hypothesis is, that's where the spatial character of experience comes from, is the spatial character of the actions that, um, that uh, are referred to in these expectations. So one of the features that I said was uh, in that quick uh, chart of uh, features of models, um, I said was retained, but only in a transformed way, was um, an emphasis on action. And there is indeed uh, an emphasis on action in predictive coding models, at least some of them, um, uh, but maybe of a different sort 
than what uh, I'm proposing here. Um, so uh, in the, I just uh, went over how I think action is crucial for structuring the space, the, the, um, the phenomenal space of visual experience. Um, uh, so that uh, prevents, I, I think action is essentially, uh, sorry, experience, visual experience is, is essentially concerned with um, action and it isn't, um, say, detached inference about purely causal models of the world that are unrelated to our ability to intervene in that world. So uh, that's one of the attractions I find about the expectational model, bringing action in very centrally at the very beginning, rather than a general predictive coding framework, which might admit or might allow models that don't um, incorporate action any way directly at all. Um, but I also disagree with um, one, uh, and this was, I think, um, this was mentioned by, for instance, Anil Seth, when he was discussing Carl Friston's work, um, I, uh, am, uh, the expectational model takes a quite different approach concerning um, uh, one proposal about the role of action here. Um, action, on this view, does not, um, is not another means for minimizing prediction error. So uh, that view would undercut our traditional view of action as a, uh, as a component in means and, ra means and rationality. So I want to retain a more traditional notion of action, um, but nevertheless find a role for this idea that maybe in some restricted cases we can think of um, uh, some cognitive operations as involving uh, the minimization of prediction error um, through uh, prudent choice of action or the, or the dynamics of action selection being dominated by reduction of minimization of prediction error. So I don't think it's the way that um, Friston has uh, envisioned it, um, although, of course, this is all just, um, it's just it's a theoretical remark. We'll have to look and see um, how the data, how the, uh, what the data actually shows us. But um, my suggestion here is that there's another possibility we might want to investigate, which is um, instead, well, I, won't, I don't have time to go over the problems with um, Friston's proposal. You can look at uh, discussion concerning the darkroom problem or um, the problem I mentioned before that Andy Clark picks up in his recent review that Anil mentioned uh, concerning it undermining our traditional notions of action. But a different proposal would be that uh, under certain circumstances we do actually have action selection being the result of uh, minimum, minimization of prediction error, but it's not about the actual world. It's not about minimizing actual predictions about the way the world is, but rather it's minimizing expected error in hypothetical cases where basically planning is going on. It's a, uh, um, a traditional um, maybe uh, AI-type uh, term, but the idea, all I mean by planning here is action selection informed by some kind of uh, motivational state um, that meets some constraint of achieving some uh, desired, um, desired state. And this desired state can be specified um, entirely in a perceptual um, format. And so the, uh, uh, using the same kind of forward model um, that I've been talking about as part of the expectational model in general, one can uh, think of action selection as a kind of gradient descent reduction of error in activation space. Rather than using the the difference between a desired goal state, uh, say a, a particular scene, uh, and the scene that one would expect to get given one's predictive model, given one's forward model, having selected some, say, ran action at random, well, instead of using that error to modify one's model, in this case we're assuming the model is actually correct or reasonably good, but instead it's our 
It's the action that we don't yet know how to perform. We don't know which action will get us to the state we want. So we can use the error signal as a way of um, modifying systematically, maybe even through, uh, um, through backwards links through the model, um, to come up with an action that will uh, be guaranteed to give you the lowest error, um, the lowest difference between what would be the expected result of your action and the state that you're looking for. So it's a different kind of role um, that I'm seeing here for um, action in this framework of ener energy, uh, sorry, error minimization in a predictive coding context, but it's one that um, I've independently found motivation for from a more machine learning perspective, more of an artificial intelligence perspective. Uh, what time should I finish? Okay. Um, so what about a discussion, the promised discussion of some of these demoted features, features I say maybe aren't as important to really the strength of the predictive coding approach to explaining uh, consciousness. Let's, I want to be clear here that um, I'm not saying there's no role for such features um, at all and, and, and maybe even so, there are some aspects of, of experience that um, are, uh, the explanation of which is facilitated by emphasizing pro the probabilistic nature of these um, predictions or emphasizing uh, Bayesian optimality. I'm just saying we shouldn't, um, it will be missing out on some possible variants of the model and some possible um, architectural, regions of architectural space if we ideologically at this early stage insist on it. So the uh, expectational model, for instance, is explicated without any essential reference to a notion of expectations as being probabilistic, but rather deterministic if you move your eyes this way, this is what you'd expect to get. It's not a probability distribution, at least as, as, um, as I've envisioned it so far. Um, the settling on one set of expectations is a dynamic process, and it um, maybe is the one that minimizes some uh, error value over time, but it needn't be, and almost certainly isn't, a Bayesianly optimal process in the model that I've been investigating, and yet there might still be a use for for that, um, despite the fact that the maths isn't as nice. Um, this idea of top-down suppression of expected components of the input signals, surely there must be very good applications of that notion, even when trying to give a direct account of um, the content of experience. Certainly, when one's trying to give an account of, say, attention, it would be useful to have uh, a signal where the expected uh, components have been weeded out and you only have the novelty or unexpected components to assist you in, say, directing attention or tell you something about what's just happened. But the idea that um, uh, the entire content of experience should consist only of that um, is, I think, highly questionable. Now, to be fair, I don't think, I'm not sure that people who are uh, pursuing predictive coding models of consciousness are always actually trying to address the kind of question I've set out today that we should be um, also addressing, which is the fine-grained content of experience. How can it be explained by a predictive coding model? So the idea that uh, they might end up with a signal that is uh, impoverished with respect to the expected uh, wouldn't be a problem for them if they're not directly trying to account for the what-its-likeness of experience. But if you are trying to do that, only help allowing yourselves to deal with these kinds of of computational correlates of consciousness is going to severely uh, hinder you. So in its right place, great, but not as a general ideological uh, constraint. Um, so I said maybe some features aren't essential. 
Maybe some features of predictive coding models that are thought to be essential really might actually impede an account of um, experience. Well, to echo um, one kind of criticism that Clark has recently considered, although he, eventually, he thinks it can be replied to, but I'm not so sure. He points out that there's a disconnect between the probabilistic nature of these um, predictive coding models, the computational vehicles that they deliver, and the determinateness of phenomenal experience. The world just doesn't seem to be like, experience doesn't seem to be like uh, the kinds of uh, mathematical structures and computational structures that predictive coding models are delivering. Um, as I said, he gives a reply. I don't think his reply works. But, of course, there are many who would even question that Clark's got done the phenomenology right. So someone like Daniel Dennett, for instance, might say, well, experience is actually indeterminate. There's no fact of the matter about what I'm experiencing visually at any given time. So does that mean we've actually got a nice um, rapprochement here between predictive coding and phenomenology? Well, I don't think so. I don't think it's the kind of... The indeterminateness you have in, in terms of uh, probably uh, expect expectations as probability distributions are not the kind of indeterminateness that Dennett is supporting with, say, a multiple drafts model or a, a, a view of consciousness that's sensitive to probing. Um, however, and I can't demonstrate this, I think uh, the expectational model, given its determinateness, can account for either of those, be used to support either of those approaches to phenomenology. Either its determinateness in a simplistic form supports determinate phenomenology, if that's the correct phenomenology, but if phenomenology is more like a Dennettian kind of multiple drafts phenomenology, that would be a superposition of, of these different deterministic states, not a probability, probability distribution, although I realize um, that might seem a very fine point at this um, it presented so quickly. And I've already made comments about the subtractive approach um, not being essential, um, maybe, even to, uh, maybe even also an impediment. So I have to um, move quickly over these last statements of difference between uh, the expectational model and standard predictive coding models. I think the expectational model, unlike some of the predictive coding models, is robustly experiential. That's not meant to be a criticism. It could just be that the, the um, people who are uh, developing the predictive coding models that I have in mind just aren't concerned with giving an account of the, uh, the what-its-likeness of uh, conscious experience. Rather, they're only interested in, say, the referential or intentional properties of conscious experience. Isn't it experience of a house or of a person, of a, of a face, sorry? Um, I think something more radical about the expectational model, which would really require us to do something very different when trying to find the neural and computational correlates of consciousness, is that it's, in some really um, strange sense, uh, counterfactual. That is, the content of experience isn't given, isn't determined by the current actions being considered and the current output of the forward model um, for what those experiences would be. But rather, it's actually a, um, the content of experience is given by all the uh, expectations one would have if one were to consult the forward model about these different range, ranges of action. Well, um, I'm out of time there, so uh, I'll just uh, conclude with... Um, so moving through the slides, I'll just, I'll just move to my final slide so you can have my email address in case you have any questions. Um, uh, thank you very much for your attention.